And now may the grace and peace of God, our Father, and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be yours today. And you know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is yours. For the word of God has come to you in order that it may be your joy above everything else. And I know that might sound a little dramatic because there are many things in this world that we have which can be our joy. There's much to be joyful about, gifts from God to be sure. Yet as Jeremiah preached, this now, this joy is the word of God. That is Christ himself, which will be your true and lasting joy, the delight of your heart. For it is by this word, this one, Jesus Christ, that you are saved, that your sins are forgiven, and that you are given truly lasting hope. So this is yours, because he has become your Messiah. Amen. Now, today, we get to part two of our gospel story in Matthew chapter 16. We heard the first part last week. We heard Jesus ask the disciples who people say the Son of Man is. And the disciples gave him answers, maybe John the Baptist, maybe prophets. But then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter pipes up with his beautiful confession, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is pleased with this answer. You recall this. Jesus says, surely this didn't, didn't come from your flesh, Peter, but it came now from God the Father. That is the same for you now as well. That you have this beautiful confession, this faith that comes now through God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is calling you by the gospel gathering you together to hear it now, enlightening you with his gifts and making you holy apart from anything you've ever done. That is, apart from all of your best works and apart from all of your worst works as well. God is doing this now apart from all of that. And so here's the church. And Jesus said as much last week. He said, on this confession, Peter, the whole church will be built and on the authority to forgive sins so here you are, gathered together. Here is the church built on the preaching of this word and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now that was part one, and it was a pretty good week for Peter, though it was just a few moments if you read the gospel, because this week is the very next moment things seem to go differently. Part two paints a different story for Peter. Well, Peter has rightly confessed his faith to Jesus the Messiah, he cannot accept on his own what this means for Jesus. But Jesus puts it right out there, and we heard it right away at our gospel reading. And this is the first time Jesus says this in the gospel of Matthew. He says that to be the Messiah, he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes all of those who should know what justice is, they will make Jesus not only suffer, but die. And then on the third day, be raised. Now, upon hearing this, Peter, he would not have it. And he loses it. He rebukes his teacher. He takes him to the side and says, look, Jesus, this, is, this doesn't sound like a good idea at all. I think uh, you should think twice about this. In fact, Jesus, Peter is stronger than that. He says, God forbid that you do this, Jesus. 
may this never happen to you. Now, it might be hard for us to blame Peter. When you put yourself in Peter's shoes, of course he doesn't want his friend to die. This makes sense. He wants to continue on with him. This is how it is for all of us, I suspect. But there is a selfish part of this for Peter as well. We have to admit that he also doesn't want the experience of losing Jesus, this grief. And of course, none of us would want this either. And then also, as the teacher goes, so goes the disciple. That if this is Jesus' future, all of the disciples who are following him, well, this may be their future too. And indeed, it is their future. For all of these reasons, Peter says, let's, let's not do this, Jesus. Let's just ignore that. And while we can assign mobile motivations, motivations to Peter, this is his sin, finally. Encouraging Jesus to go against God's will as if it were possible, and in the process looking out for himself at the same time. And while you might expect Jesus to be a little more compassionate with his disciple, with Peter, he speaks the truth plainly. He turns and looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's not very often that you call someone that you know and love Satan, is it? I mean, this, you don't do this. this. These are strong words. But Jesus is recognizing that here in Peter's sin, Satan is using Peter to try to tempt Jesus out of what is God's will for him. Jesus says, you are a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus recognizes something that is so strange to us that his own suffering and death must take place in order for him to be the Messiah. Now, this never makes sense to our fleshly sensibilities. As, as I was hearing this gospel for, uh, for a number of times this week, I began to think of, uh, well, not quite the Messiah, certainly not anymore, but at one time, the great hope for the Minnesota Vikings, Adrian Peterson, you remember Adrian Peterson. Uh, I was a pastor here when he had his breakout game as a rookie uh, the first time around. And I remember when he got injured, well, th this was uh, bad news for all Vikings fans. None of us would hope for this. We would all be Peter saying, may it not be so. May, this, may you be healed quickly and run fast and, and, and score touchdowns. This is exactly what Peter wanted for Jesus. But Jesus says, no, this is not how it is. In faith, we want to avoid suffering and death at almost all costs. Yet here Jesus goes into death ahead of us. And how strange this is. This doesn't mean that you will not experience suffering or death in this old world. Sometimes we think in the church we can avoid suffering and maybe even death. But you know that suffering comes and death as well. But Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that they will have their own cross given to them. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to go looking for a cross. That sometimes also is our temptation. Maybe we can choose this cross over that cross. We are pretty good at that, finding our own causes, fighting for them for our own sense and hope of peace and righteousness. But this is not how it is for you who have faith. Here the cross of Christ actually finds you. And your righteousness and your peace will come in a way totally foreign 
to the world, it will come to you with this Christ, who is your Messiah, who died and was raised, as Jesus told the disciples. Now, there's much we can say about the cross. As we know, it is both the symbol of the church and our hope in the resurrection. But at the same time, it is the thing we dread and find lots of ways to avoid the pain and suffering that comes along with it as we live in a world ruled by the law, as we live in a, in a world ruled by sinners, and actually as we live in a world as sinners, pain and suffering are part of our time here. And the creative ways we work to avoid this pain and suffering, to find self-fulfillment, finally, they don't work. So Peter, while having confessed his faith, full of the Holy Spirit a moment ago, now was full of the flesh as we are as well, rebuking his own Messiah in order to avoid the suffering that was to come. And as much as we like to rag on Peter and the Gospels make it easy, you know that we are just like him, boldly confessing Christ one moment and the next running away from what that means. And a preacher's temptation now in fact, a sinner's temptation would be to say, buck up, get strong, head into the cross, it's coming, so get ready for it. But that's not how it works either in faith. For in faith, the strength of, comes of, the strength of Christ comes not by your flesh, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, by your hearing the very word of God. And now Christ shares that word he doesn't say, buck up. He says, you will suffer. The cross will find you. Yet, I have already overcome the world. I have found you first, Jesus says. You will lose this fleshly life. Yet, I have something even better for you now. It is forgiveness for all of the times that you have rebuked me like Peter and tried to run away from what I have for you. By the way, Peter wasn't done running away from the cross, as we know in the Gospels. He had more running to do in his life. Yet Jesus wasn't done giving him faith either. And so it is for you. Suffering will come. Swedish theologian Gustav Vingren writes that it is in our vocations that the cross and finally death finds us. That is in your relationships as a parent or a spouse or brother or sister or friend, also in your work, however you are called, whatever your jobs may be today, in all the ways you're being used in this old world, you will be used up. Sometimes there will be suffering. Sometimes there will be joy. I can tell you last night, my family came to worship uh, and we have uh, our, uh, some extra family visiting this weekend, which is a great joy. And we were intending to go out for some, uh, some tacos after church. Though the place that, was, uh, that we'd never been to was much uh, hailed was closed. And pretty soon we had some grumpy children. And there was uh, just a slight amount of suffering in the vocation of being father and mother. I would say that that our, our small kids said there was a lot of suffering in the vocation of being a child uh, without food. This is how it is in this old world. Sometimes it's worse than this. 
but there will also be joy. There will be suffering some days and joy some days in the gifts God gives us, but always now you are held in the perfect promise of Christ, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This means that Jeremiah's words are fulfilled in Christ, that even in pain and incurable wounds, as Jeremiah writes, God is with you to save you and deliver you. That even if you turn back, as Jeremiah says, Christ will take you back and you will utter what is precious and become his mouth. The Holy Spirit was at work in Peter. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, which means also that Paul's directions in Romans 12, as you've heard them this morning, while they might sound a little lofty and unattainable, to outdo one another in showing honor, to rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering and persevering in prayer, to be a blessing to those who persecute you, weeping with those who weep. Well, it means that this description has now not become your to-do list, and it sounds like a very unattainable one, but it is reality for you in Christ. It is your freedom. For when you hear that Christ is your Messiah, that he has died for your sake and raised for your sins, so that as you die, you too will be raised along with all believers in Christ. And so here we are, called together in the midst of suffering, yet even more in the midst of Christ. And as Jeremiah famously ate the scroll of God's word, he made reference to that in our reading this morning. Now you too will eat this body and blood of Christ himself as we receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, God's word for you, full of forgiveness and hope, for he has come to be your Messiah. Amen.